recently, uh, my daughter and I went to our first Legends game. I've not been to one before. Been to the Mavericks game a couple of times, but never seen the Legends. And we got to go see them. And it was fun. It was exciting. I mean, we cheered and we clapped and we screamed for our team. They also got brutally beat. Um, it wasn't even a contest. And, and there were points in the game where it really looked like the other team was an NBA team and they were like a college team. I mean, it just, everything, even like the size of them, the center on their team, I think he was about 14 feet tall, and he would like stand at the basket and just look at the other players, oh, little basketball player. And he like grabbed the ball out of, I mean, it just, it just wasn't like, and every once in a while they'd make little runs and you'd think, oh, oh never mind, they're not coming back. Um, and so about partway through, right kind of going into the fourth quarter, so we're parked on the top of the parking structure, and it's six levels. And I said to Kira, I think we need to slip out. I mean, if nothing else changes, like we need to leave before everybody else leaves. And so partway through this fourth quarter, we'll give it a little bit more chance, but they're down 20, and like there's no indication they're coming back. And so about halfway through the fourth quarter, um, my daughter, myself, and 6,000 other people got up and left. <laughs> yeah, it was like everybody had the same idea about what was going on at this point. And, and what struck me about this game, and even about myself, is in the beginning, we were, we were very excited. I mean, we were cheering. My daughter's like up because she has so much energy. And we're like, yeah, go, they scored, and we're all excited. But... As things got bad and we knew it wasn't going to work out, we're like, okay, we're done with you. And we're like walking away, along with 6,000 other people. We're all walking away. Um, I want to talk today about the depth of our commitment. And here is kind of my, um, my theory, is that our excitement in a moment does not necessarily convey what our actual commitment is. That we can have moments where we are totally into something, but it may not indicate how deep our commitment is. Because what happens when things are not going the way that we would like them to go? Do we stick around? That's what we're going to talk about tonight or today. I'm going to mess up a lot because I'm kind of sick. By the way, please don't try and hug me after the service um, because then I have to be like rude and go, no, 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 touch my elbow or something and because I think I am sick and I just don't want to get anybody else sick. So I mean, I, it's not that I don't want to hug you, it's that I don't want to get you sick. Um, where we're going to start is a high point, a very high point in the life of the disciples. Open your Bible to Luke 19. There's the reading that Andy did at the beginning the triumphal entry. Every year on this Sunday, we get to look at this passage where they come into Jerusalem and they are excited. I want you to go, we're going to skip a little bit and then come back to it. Um, look down at verse 37. Luke 19, verse 37. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples there's a bunch of them. Whether you're talking about the 12, the 72, the 120, there's a bunch of disciples here. And this is not just that 12. There's a whole multitude of them. 
they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. They are excited. They are rejoicing. They are shouting. This is a great moment for them. And think about the moments. Up until this point, this has been the experience of the disciples. Jesus does something miraculous, and he says to them, don't tell anybody. Jesus starts getting all of these crowds in a town to follow him, and the next morning, the disciples find Jesus way outside the town. And they're saying, come back. All these people want to be with you. And he's like, no, we got to move on. We're going to another town. They try and make him king at one point, what they're doing here. And he just slips away, so they can't do it. Imagine if the guy that you are following, ever, you've given all your life to him, you're seeing these amazing things that he is doing, but he won't let you celebrate them. He keeps telling you, no, not now. No, we're moving on. No, not here. Until right now. How excited are these disciples? They finally get to go, this is him. This is the guy we weren't able to talk about. This is the one who kept telling us to be quiet. And he's going into Jerusalem. This isn't just like some town in Galilee. This is Jerusalem. And they're letting him celebrate. And from the beginning, the 12 have seen something. As Andy was reading this passage, what you will notice is how much control Jesus has. Okay, guys, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go into this place. You're going to find this cult. It's going to be like this. The guy's going to ask you. You're going to tell him this. They go over. They find the cult. The guy asks him. He tells him this. They take the cult. And everything Jesus is saying to them, it's, he has absolute control over what is happening. This is what he wants at this moment. And so they are going in, and they are rejoicing, and they are saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And Jesus is going to confirm that this is right. That their celebration, that their excitement, that their expression that he is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That that is the right thing. The Pharisees in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Not just tell them to stop talking. Tell them they're wrong. Rebuke them. They are claiming that you are the long-awaited one. They're quoting things out of the Psalms. Like you are the king, you're the Messiah, you're the one coming in the name of David. I mean, stop them, rebuke them, tell them they're wrong. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I could stop them, but in this moment, creation would start praising me if I did. What is happening on this day is right. It is good. It is appropriate. So much so that he says, if you stopped them, creation would start doing it. It has to take place. This is a high point. This is the disciples being able to celebrate and rejoice in something they have known for a long time. Three years, some of them, 
They have known this, but never been able to fully enter into it. And they finally get to do it. I want to make a point that is not the point of this text. I'll be upfront with you. Um, but I want to pull it out of this text. It is right to be excited about Christ. It is good to be rejoicing, to shout. It is good to have an amen during a sermon. It is good to lift a hand when you're worshiping. Heck, it is good just to be in the moment. If you think through the scriptures, do you remember David before the ark dancing? You read the Psalms and they're talking about instruments and praise and lifting up the shout in a voice. And it is good to have some emotion. I mean, I am thinking about some of this music that we sing. You are the God who saves us. In your presence, our fears are washed away and we find strength. Um, on that day when my strength is failing and the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then evermore. Do we believe that? There should be some excitement. And I'm not asking for like a Pentecostal church here. <laughs> However, we could learn a little something from them. And it's not that you have to come in like every single Sunday when you've had a bad week and go, okay, I'm going to forget that things are awful. And I'm just going to woohoo, smile and celebrate. But man, we are worshiping the God of the universe who gave his son that we would have eternal life. Should we not be excited about that? I mean, what they are doing is real. And Jesus is like, yes, they need to shout. They need to celebrate. It is a good thing for us to celebrate the Lord. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not asking you to, like, do something that's really uncomfortable for you. But here is my image of the church at times. So I love going to the symphony. And I'll go two or three times a year to the symphony. On Friday nights, I took my mom and my daughter, and we went to the Dallas Symphony. But in this case, they had a special guest, Eileen Ivers. Um, some of you might know her name. She's an Irish fiddle player who is very, very well known. Um, she was part of Riverdance and, I mean, all of those things, recorded tons of records, played all over the world, and, we, and she played with the, the symphony. And, and here's what it looks like. So if you guys are the audience, the symphony is in its normal spot. And across the front, you've got a, an electric bass, an accordion player, Eileen Ivers, an acoustic guitar and singer, and then a percussion set. And the percussion set has one of the, the glass things around it, the fiber, whatever those things are that block it, the block sound. And... I wish I could read his thing. The, the drummer actually posted it on Facebook. He said um, something like, I think what this means is the orchestra doesn't want to hear the drums. 
But with my ego, I, I choose to think that this is just me having my own little office on the stage. But here's the thing. If you've gone to a, con- to a symphony, there's a certain protocol. You know, you don't clap in between pieces. Um, and if somebody does, everybody else goes, oh, what are they doing? Um, there's a certain protocol. I think there's a stick they hand you that goes a certain place when you walk in. It's just kind of part of what you need to have the attitude of. But there's something about that. There's a certain protocol to the symphony. Well, Eileen Iverson said, we're blowing this protocol out the door. We're going to have fun. And I mean, she gets up there, and I don't know how she did this. In fact, I was going to ask my wife later. She plays her violin, sings, and bounces at the same time. She's doing this. (laughs) And, like, she's getting the whole, and, like, people are out there, and they start clapping. And this is, like, this is a normal symphony concert. I mean, the average age was probably 60 in this room, and they are just clapping along, going crazy. You know what the symphony's doing? They're all sitting there like... <laughs> the whole time. I have no idea how. In fact, the, um, the chair, the first chair violin, actually played a piece with Eileen Ivers, and they kind of had this solo thing back and forth, and what she was doing throughout is, is they did a lot of improv. And she would, like, she would play something, and she's doing it with the accordion player. So she'd do something, and he'd do something, and she'd do it back and forth. And while she's doing it, she's like, I mean, just all into it. And you just can't help but smile. Well, first chair violin player. <laughs> and everybody else is like, whoa. And so finally she turns to him, and she's like getting him, trying to go to him. And like partway through, he just... He finally breaks a smile as he's playing. And like behind me, there's this old lady, and she goes, oh, he's going to lose it. Oh, he's, yep, he's smiling. <laughs> but here's what I feel like. I feel like the angels are rejoicing and bouncing up and down with huge smiles on their faces while the church of God is sitting in the orchestra place. And we're like, oh, cool, another song about Jesus. Praise the Lord. I wonder what I'm going to do after this. Oh, I think I forgot some. Oh, wait. Hosanna. I forgot something at home. Can we sit down? My feet are tired. Trey has us up here for two songs. Man. Sometimes I feel like as the church, we're like this orchestra. There's this beautiful thing going on where we're worshiping the Lord, and yet we're not. Um, We're just kind of off. I don't say this in any way to bring guilt to anybody. Um, And I don't say this to say if you don't run up and down the aisles, you're not really worshiping the Lord. I just want to challenge you personally. Are you really recognizing what it is we're doing here? Are you recognizing what it is to worship the Lord, to hear his word, to come forward and receive communion? I've had a number of people tell me, yeah, I go up to receive communion and I just cry sometimes. And and it's like they feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about it. If you want to weep when you come up here to receive communion, weep. We are emotional beings. There's nothing wrong with expressing that emotion. That's what they do at that point. However, something happens. Over this week, from that point Over the next seven days, five days, something is going to change. 
Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem, and he is going to start saying things that just shake up everything. He's going to talk about the temple being destroyed. That's blasphemy right there. He's going to say some parables that attack the religious leaders, and they're going to know it. He's going to start getting death threats. His own disciples are going to start turning against each other. They're going to start saying, hey, I'm greater than you are, and I'm going to sneak over here. Hey, can we have something that the rest of these guys can't have? Peter's going to stand up and say, they might deny you, but I'm not going to. And everybody else is going to go, no, 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 we're not either. During the Last Supper, he's going to say, one of you is going to betray me. And right in the middle of supper, somebody's going to leave. Things are going to turn. They're going to go south so badly that he's going to end up on the cross. And here's the thing. I want a visual. Here's the cross. Five days before this point, his whole disciples, they are worshiping him. They are excited. They are shouting for joy. They are celebrating all that he has done and are so excited about it. They're like my daughter and I at that game. Go, legends! Yeah, you scored another basket. That's awesome. But as they move toward the cross, they just peel off. And they keep peeling off. And they keep peeling off until you get to the crucifixion. And at the cross, there's two of them. Mary and John. Ways away, there's this amazing little verse in Luke's gospel, it's nowhere else, where Luke says his acquaintances and the women were at a distance. They're watching, but they're over here. They're at a distance from it. And then there's a whole bunch of them. They're just gone. We don't even hear about them anymore. Three groups of people that go from, you are so amazing, and things get really hard, really bad. We don't know how it's going to turn out. And some flee. Some, they stand over here and they, they look from a distance. But two of them are right here. And here's my question. Where are you? When things get really hard. And they could be hard in terms of our finances. Don't have a job anymore. Not sure what to do about this. Sickness. Something that we can't control, that we wished wasn't happening, that we think is unfair. Maybe it is simple injustice in our world. As you were looking at all the horrible things going on, and you're wondering, how could this happen? You're angry and you're hurt by it. Or maybe, maybe it's that God wants some changes in your life. Maybe there are some things that you are holding on to that God doesn't want you holding on to. Maybe there's some ways that you are acting that God wants you to change, and you're going, that is too hard. I cannot make that change. Maybe you don't say it that way, but that's exactly what your actions are portraying. I wonder 
where are you? If the crucifixion is here, if the pain, but also the salvation, if it's all there, are you right in the middle of it facing that hurt, that pain, that challenge, saying, God, I know you want me to, whatever it is, you want me to trust you through something that I can't control. Uh, you want me to change the way I treat my kids. You want me to change my attitude at work. But these people are wrong. I can't do it. And so you back up. And you put yourself at a distance from the cross. And here's what I think they were doing. I think they were afraid, which is understandable. They were, I mean, Jesus was arrested and is being crucified. That's a scary thing. They are afraid and they don't know the outcome. I can't help but wondering. They didn't run away completely, but they're standing here and they're waiting. How is this going to turn out? Can I come back? Because if we had all the answers, how much easier would our decisions be? I mean, if we knew the outcome of all of it, I could have all kinds of strength. I mean, if you told me that, okay, if you'll just trust me for seven days, on day eight, I'm going to answer every prayer you're praying right now. Phew, I can go seven days. Man, I got that. I think they're waiting for an outcome. We don't get that. We don't get to know the outcome. Are we standing at a distance in the more challenging, hard parts of our walk with Christ? Or will we truly deny ourselves, take up our cross, come right near it, and say, Lord, I'm gonna do everything you're asking of me, even when I don't understand it, even when it hurts, even when it's scary, I'm going to do it for you in your strength. Where is the true depth of your commitment? Let me end by asking a different question. What is the depth of his commitment to you? We have something that we give to the Lord. We have a life that we give over to him. And we're asking this question, how deep is that commitment really? Does it go below praising him during the good times? Does it go deeper? But a different question is, what is his commitment to us? What does he give? That's what Holy Week is about. Holy Week is a look at, a, an experience of, a stepping into the true commitment of Christ. You heard some of it in that narrative, that passion reading. What will he go through for us? How deep is that commitment of Christ to us? And you know the answer. 
you've heard it. And you've heard it so many times. How many times have you heard that Christ would die for you? I mean, up on the wall, this is the whole thing leading to it, the crucifixion. I want to give you a story. I want you to feel what's in this. There is a, a park named Ladarius Wiley Brooklyn Park. Sorry, I had the entire thing in there. And, and the park, the name of that park is new. It was named November of last year. And the park was named in honor of an 11-year-old boy named Ladarius Wiley. October 26th, Ladarius, 11, is standing at the bus stop with his sister, Shavanta, 7, when a car out of control comes directly at the bus stop, heading for Shavanta, 11-year-old boy, jumps and shoves his little sister out of the way and takes the full impact of that car. Critical condition, they take him to the hospital. He dies the next day. The mom takes his organs and immediately has them harvested to try to save another child. That little boy gave his life for his sister. That she could live. That she could go on and have the rest of her life. 11 years old. The mom, as sad and as heartbroken as she was, she was not surprised that her little boy would do that. That that's the kind of boy he was. And she chose, while hurting, to look at what his life gave. Not the loss of his life. That was there. She couldn't get rid of it. But, but that her daughter would live. That some other child would live because of his organs. And maybe more than one. That's what it means to give your life for somebody else. Jesus gave his life for us. That is his commitment. He suffered and he died for us. When this happened to this little boy, that whole community decided we have to do something to honor this. It is worthy of honoring. This park that he played at that is right in this area Let's rename this in honor of him. Let's make this something for this little boy and for their family to remember always. Our lives are meant to be some form of park to the Lord where we live our lives to honor him, that we recognize that he jumped in front of sin, death, the devil, to save us, to give us life and invites us in all of our pain and fear and distrust 
and struggles and heartache to be right next to the cross. Will you come to the cross for this season and live your life here because of his commitment to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do celebrate what you have done. And we look forward to going through this week where we get to truly reflect upon all that your son has done, all that you sacrificed, that leads us into Easter morning, a morning of rejoicing and celebrating, a morning that shows us that we have life and forgiveness and hope and eternity. Lord, in all of our weakness, give us the strength to sit below the cross, to live our lives there no matter how hard things may be, because it is only there that we truly find life. In Jesus' name, amen.